you in the name of all that is good, all that is sacred, and in the warm and loving energy of this community, Spiritual Life Center. If you're joining us for the first time, we especially want to welcome you because we know that you are not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. Thank you for joining us on your unique path today, and we hope you enjoy this special message from this past Sunday's service. People hand in hand, have I lived to see the milk and honey land, where hate's a dream and love forever stands, or is this a vision in my mind? Don't you just love those lyrics? So good morning. Thank you for welcoming me today. As you notice, the color for today is sky blue. In the book, The Twelve Powers by Charles Fillmore, co-founder of the Unity Movement, He writes that the faculty represented by this color is imagination, and the apostle associated with imagination is Bartholomew, which is the location of the center is between the eyebrows. In the Metaphysical Bible Dictionary, it says that Jesus perceived Bartholomew, who was formerly known as Nathaniel, from a distance, even though he did not yet see him. He perceived with an inner sight. Today we will talk about this inner sight and its origins as we explore the power of vision and highlight chapter three from Reverend James Trapp's book, Take Back Your Future. Over many decades, we have been influenced and shaped by an invention that demonstrates a great spiritual truth. And yet we don't fully appreciate its full metaphysical importance. According to Swami Biyandananda, it's called television. He says the most powerful tool on the planet today is television, where I tell a vision to you and you tell a vision to me. Well, we tell a vision all the time with our conversations, don't we? And we can take on others' visions at times as our own. And sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes not. Much scientific research is being done with mirror neurons. These are neurons that fire both when we act and when we observe the same firing as as actions performed by another. These neurons mirror the behavior of another as if the observer were acting themselves. So this research also is finding that our genetic expression is much more affected by our environment than by our biochemistry. Every cell is eavesdropping on our conversations. And even our vocal cords are mimicking what they are hearing as if they are silently speaking what they're hearing, according to Rudolf Steiner. So Rumi gives us an important reminder to this point. He says, 
Be with those who help your being. We mutually influence each other more than we can ever know. So if we were to realize the impact of our choice of words and what they have on ourselves and others, how would we experience the world? What would we choose to speak into existence? A vision for our lives can either be small or panoramic as a result of our conditioned worldview. And much is determined by what we expect. Whether a little or a lot, the universe says yes. And if our lives were a television show, and metaphorically they are, what would our predominant theme be? Drama, romantic, comedy, adventure, tragedy, devotional, simple, complex, joyful? Well, for me, at different times of my life, it's been all of those. There were many successful people who have been telling a vision to themselves for most of their lives. Reverend James shares a story about Michael Jackson. From a very young age, he looked to many performers as role models to emulate. Now let me ask you, I'd like you to think of one or two people that you admire. What qualities do you see in them that you would like to cultivate? Is it courage, authenticity, dedication? And did you know what you see in them matches a resonance in you? So Michael Jackson saw himself as a renowned entertainer, like the famous singers he admired, even before he became internationally famous. One day, young Michael was a passenger in a car with his brothers, and as they passed a large stadium in L.A., with a capacity to seat over 90,000 people, Michael said, one day I will perform there and it will be sold out. He claimed that for himself and he embodied the feelings of already having it, and his inner vision came to pass. The master teacher, Oprah Winfrey, developed the skill of visioning early on. She once shared that she would gather her audience of dolls and stuffed animals in front of her and teach. And she said that even when she was going through some of her darkest times to help herself feel better, she would imagine herself speaking and teaching in front of large groups of people. When someone asked her about success in her interviewing style, Oprah shared, well, if you want good answers, ask good questions. The answers we, are, we get are often dependent on the questions we ask. So my question for you is, what assumptions are you making about yourself or others? What questions are you willing to explore? And are they leading to expansive or contractive conclusions? When we want clear answers, why not ask the right questions? Course in Miracles at, offers some of those favorite questions of mine, which is, Lord, show me what you would have me, where you would have me go, what you would have me do, what you would have me say, and to whom. A friend of mine asks 
God, how will you show me how loved I am by you today? Or why am I so blessed? Why is the universe conspiring for my good? Why is this unfolding so easily and with grace? And then what happens is our mind looks for evidence as to why that's so. So what answers do you think we would get if we asked from a higher source? I was speaking to Ellen Springwood the other day, and many of you know her from our congregation. She shared a practice that she does daily that she learned from a man named Lee Harris. So she asks herself each morning, tell me, my soul, what would you have me know today? And then she listens and writes without filtering. So think of a challenging situation you're facing where you may be placing limits, an area that you'd like to improve. It could be a relationship with your child or parent, a challenge with your sense of self, your health or career. Perhaps it's wanting to make more time for a loved one, for self-care or meditation. Ask yourself, what does God or the universe want for me in this situation? What is the highest possible outcome? Let the answers unfold and then take action by doing what I say or what I've heard say, follow the breadcrumbs, the inner promptings, the nudges, the coincidences that are put there for us to follow. So what is your own unique vision to fulfill? We all know the saying, without a vision, the people perish. I would also say a a little differently, without a vision, we live a life of complacency and for some resignation. When I was a child, my teacher would play the music from the movie Fantasia. And she would ask us to imagine what kind of images and events were happening as we heard the music. And we did this even before we ever even saw the movie. To this day, classical music can bring me back to the world of imagination. Through a child's eyes, anything is possible. And it's an immensely creative skill not to be underestimated or forgotten as we get older. So what's stirring inside you that dares to be expressed? What is possible and what's waiting for you that may just be outside your comfort zone? Would you be willing to shift your allegiance from conditioned certainty to possibility? For me, I recall being deeply moved by a man named Wayne Muller. I heard him speak at Unity Village in 1999. He was sharing from a book he had recently written called, How May I Serve? Wayne described creating a community where mentoring and helping each other collaboratively not only can be done, but it's existed in many cultures. And we know it as an apprenticeship, but I can see that it can be taken even further. It stirred me to be thinking about involving a community of mentoring to those who are seasoned in their life, in their career. Maybe it would be that they would teach their life skills to another. And the person who is learning from them would teach to someone even younger. And even the youngest are taught that they have something to contribute and share. 
much of these teachings we see in the Montessori principles. In this community, each is holding a vision to empower the other in small and significant ways. So over the years, I've thought about what it would be like to be part of this kind of a community. You know, it takes a village to raise each one of us. I can see such a center, post-COVID, of course, and I don't have a clue how it would happen. But as the saying goes, though, tell God your what and leave the how to God. Reverend James says, everything is created twice, first in our mind, our imagination, then in matter. And this is why Einstein was spot on when he said, imagination is more important than knowledge. So the invitation is to use your imagination to define your vision in detail, as if you were painting a masterpiece. And the more detailed the, your vision, the more likelihood the steps will be shown. Jeff Bezos, when talking about his mission to send people to the moon, said, if your dream does not scare you, it's not big enough and worthy of your attention. So there are many tools that can help us, and it's easier when we do have a clear vision. But what if we're not exactly clear on what we want to create? Reverend James recommends a site on the internet called mindmovies.com where you can put together images and affirmations to create a mind map. Just notice what images or phrases that you're attracted to. And according to Esther Hicks, even contrast can be helpful. Notice what you don't want can help you clarify what you do want. Reverend James suggests that we look at our mind map and affirmations twice a day, morning and night. Why? Well, according to Notes from the Universe, taught, it says, ask any question or imagine what you desire just before you sleep and it will be answered. Actually, you can ask any question or affirm anytime you'd like, but you will be, and you will be answered. But mourning your, quote, hearing is often best. And when we do this before sleep, we plant ideas for our unconscious mind to work on bringing it to fruition. You know, before Thomas Edison was credited for inventing the light bulb, he had thousands of failed attempts. He felt each failure, though, was bringing him one step closer to finding answers. What Edison would do is he would sit in a chair and hold a metal ball in his hand. He would go into a deep, relaxed state, asking for his answer to come. He placed a pie dish below on the floor, which was made of metal. And if he fell asleep, he would drop the metal ball, it would hit the pie dish, and it would wake him up. And he said the solution came to him in that lucid dream state. He was constantly telling a vision to his mind of what he wanted versus focusing on what he didn't want or what wasn't working. Bob Cochran, a member of this congregation, is a retired engineer and technology inventor with many patents. He would tell himself, 
I expect a solution to this invention that I don't consciously know yet. But the answer's there. I open myself to receive it. And I would imagine he would say, as he would go into this place of stillness for the answers to come, that he had spoken that what he would do is he would venture his awareness into the future to find the answer there. After all, if science says we live in a non-local time and space universe, why not? So Esther Hicks says it's not enough to just visualize we, what we want because we have to get excited about what we desire and see it as already part of our experience. The root word for desire is desire, which means of the Father. And just as that desire was put into our heart, it can be fulfilled. It was put into our heart for a reason. It's already complete in the realm of spirit. So why not claim it? Reverend James gives a good example in this chapter on how to get excited about what we desire. He suggests we create with our imagination a five-star scale experience. And then he takes it even further and su suggests envisioning an 11-star scenario by detailing and creating great excitement and even greater expectations and delight in the experience. So ask yourself, if I already had this, say, dream job, healed body, healthy relations, great partnership, financial freedom, fill in the blank, whatever that is for you, how would I feel? And with all my senses engaged, what would I be doing, seeing, hearing, experiencing? And whatever you decide, affirm this or something better. Be willing to let go of what is good for what is great. Then feel the joy. Make it an 11-star experience. Your highest good then will magnetically be drawn to you. And ask yourself, what is the highest and best next right step for me to take? Sometimes, though, we need a little help from our biochemistry. I once heard someone say that our task is to hack the biochemistry game we are addicted to by taking small, doable steps to reach our vision. And as we do, and even as we anticipate achieving something, our bodies experience the release of a good-feeling hormone called dopamine. By its effects, this hormone rewards us and keeps us motivated. But what if we don't explore those expectations or just half-heartedly look at what they are or even stay vague? Then we might find ourselves creating a one-star experience and slip into resignation. We then tell the vision that, oh, this isn't working for me, or repeating the same habits that no longer serve us, or we shift into saying, what's the use? What's the difference? I can't have that. And if we let our doubts take over and imagine the worst, we can then experience an 11-star negative intensity, right? 
So certain issues from the past will control us when we don't take the time or the energy to face them. It's like standing on a hose. We, we block the flow of our good. I heard a man named John speak in front of a large audience. He had served over 20 years in prison. And he shared that right around the 10-year mark of serving time, he began to look at his experience as forced retreat. He said his day-to-day -day reality began to seem surreal, like a dream, after he had been regularly meditating. He said, when I first began to meditate, it was hard. All kinds of memories showed up, and not surprisingly, they were the very things I was avoiding. And yet, I knew that I had to face my fears and resentments. Reverend James writes about getting to know ourselves through mindful meditation. Meditation is a practice to access the world within. And we tune in meditation to what is eternal and unchanging. But are we taking the time to listen or are we just keep talking? There's a beautiful song that speaks to this, which is, what do I know of holy? If our focus is on the, our, the outside of what our eyeballs are seeing, it's not stable because thoughts and emotions come and go all the time. Have you noticed? Reverend James writes, as we take time in meditation to observe and not manage or let ourselves be carried away from, by our thoughts for a period of time, they can show us a lot about our state of mind. Observing our thoughts gives us distance to notice what we appreciate and what our growing edge is by showing us what we're dissatisfied with. And even in our angst, though, there's a bright side. Swami Beyondananda says, life is like a negative. You can use it to develop. So John said, if I had, I knew I had to get real with myself and know that if I didn't, I would die a coward. And if I don't this, do this, I will still be doing time even when I'm out of here. I'll be imprisoned by my past. So when John did get out of prison, he went to AA and he found a sponsor. He practiced the fifth step, which is learning about humility, vulnerability, and making amends with those he had hurt. Raymond, uh, Reverend James discusses the experience of applying the fifth step that will lead to greater freedom. And as he put it, our hardest and best decision is not to hide from ourselves or anyone else from that matter. Make amends. Don't wait. Release what no longer serves you. You know, we've created this identity by telling ourselves certain things over and over again. But the self-deception path is to think that we're not free. We're here to remember who we are and not the labels that others have placed on us. In order to surrender control, we have to stop hiding. And actually, there's another way to look at surrender. Surrender is actually an invitation to take the limits off life so that your good can come to you, more good than you could even imagine. 
And we might not like feeling vulnerable, but it's actually one of our greatest strengths. And even those parts that we feel reluctant to share have immense gifts in it. So don't hide your light. Even in those raw places, our good finds us. So take inventory of your gifts. What even small gifts that you may have overlooked do you have? Because the more you use your talents, the more God will give them a way to express them. And if you think back any time in history, what qualities are there people that you know, those qualities that you would like to emulate? Imagine asking your future self to emulate those qualities and tell you a vision of how that is possible for you. In order to tap into the power of vision, I'm asking you to be unreasonable. And our future self and that which is eternal in us understands this. And even Jesus demonstrated that with his inner sight. It wasn't reason that he knew the things that he does. Reason has to become annihilated by love. And this love of the heart I'm talking about is not the emotional heart, but it's the spiritual part at our deepest core. There is a true self within you that lets you know that you are so much more than you realize. You are vast awareness itself. So I'd like to leave you with a practice by Cynthia Borgard, who developed a practice to enhance your power of vision. She's the author of seven books on Christian tradition. And I listened to her give a talk on non-duality at a conference. And her title of her talk was Radiant Intimacy of the Heart. Cynthia is known for her work on contemplative prayer. And she says, you know, when you hear the word contemplative, you think of meditation. But contemplation is not resting in stillness. It's a luminous knowledge impregnated by love path. This knowledge doesn't know separation. This knowledge directs our path. In the book, The Little Prince, it speaks of this inner knowing and vision. And it says, it is only through the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. Deeper knowledge and visions are revealed in the heart when the mind is in the heart. So take that journey with me from the mind to the heart. You know, in the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are those who are pure in heart for they shall see God. Pure means undivided, where we see with and from the heart, where union with God is found. So here's the practice. Hold your attention in your chest, in your heart. Our heart entrain our bra the brain waves of our mind. Be vigilant and bring your awareness there and feel the warmth in your chest. When you're feeling alone, choose again. Return to your heart, the palace of wisdom. When in doubt, return again to that place, that place which is love's portal. 
hold it as an embodied practice. You know, awareness of the heart has become a new physiology, but ancient traditions have known the mysteries the heart reveals. The mind wants to conquer, divide, strategize, but the heart feels into the field like a holistic sonar and senses what is needed. The heart sees from a coherent intimacy and belonging, and it knows our deepest desires. It shows us in what way, particular to us, that we are to make the difference in life. We can't be arrogant and see from the heart. It's generous, compassionate, engaged, wise. Hold the vision for the highest and best in another. Like the results of the mirror neuron, they will pick up that energy as their own. So an Asian master was asked how he came to know so much wisdom. What was his response? He points to his heart and says, well, my mind tells me so. And according to the Mayan calendar, it holds that at this time in history, that which separates, divides the, the filters of the divine and us is beginning to dissolve where we begin to know our oneness. And what is being asked is that this indwelling presence is asking us to express those desires. So what if we don't let our heart lead us and choose to let our mind rule? Well, then we'll get more of the same reasonableness and still yearn for different results. But what if we do allow the visions of our hearts to show us what is essential? The power of vision will lead us. With vision we thrive, and we can make noble dreams a reality. Thank you. We are grateful for the opportunity to share with you today and hope you've taken something from this Sunday's message. If you'd like to hear more from Spiritual Life Center, be sure to click subscribe on the podcast platform you're listening from. You can find out more about our community on our website at www.slcworld.org. We look forward to being a part of your continued spiritual journey. Wherever you are, God is, and all is well. Spiritual Life Center